Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 324. Today, we begin our journey through the entire Word of God. Yes, through the Older Testament, through the New Testament. We're going to go book by book as time goes along, but what we're going to do is continue to remember as we go through the Word of God, as we rightly divide it, as we section it off, as we learn it, as we absorb it, assimilate it into our hearts and minds, as we become saturated with the scriptures, we never want to forget the great overarching panorama of God, the great themes of the Bible, the great story of the God of creation and the God who made everything and he made everything on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose, just as he did us. And so today we're going to look at the book of beginnings. Now I want to remind you of the order and the divisions of the Bible. As we saw last week in our study of Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, after that great Emmaus Road experience, the Lord Jesus said, for his disciples to search the scriptures because Moses wrote of him. And then in Luke 24, 44, he gave the divisions that he had studied since his youth. It is the Hebraic divisions of the Tanakh, the law, the prophets, and the writings. As I spoke earlier, the passage in Luke in verse 44 has the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. But the Psalms was the first book of the writings. And so therefore, many times, those who were very familiar with the scriptures would just talk about the first book or the first scroll within the great scrolls of the writings. And so they would refer to that as the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. This tells us once again that Jesus was very familiar with the scriptures. And it's interesting that in these divisions, the law, Torah, the prophets, the Nebiim, and then the writings, the Ketuvim, that he had favorite books that he quoted from in those different divisions. For instance, Jesus quoted from the Torah out of the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book, I believe, because it is a summary of the law and it condenses for us the great teachings of the instructions that God laid out in the Bible. In the prophets, he quoted more from the great prophet Isaiah than any others in all of the prophets. And you can see how that Isaiah spoke of the great Messiah that would come. And it's interesting that in Isaiah's prophecies, like all of the other prophecies, the prophets dealt more with what we call the second coming of Jesus more than the first. 
And for those who would think that everything was wrapped up in Jesus and Jesus finished all the work that he was to do on this earth and in heaven at his first coming, then I think you need to go back and read the prophets. Now, before you jump to conclusions, I'm not saying that the work of salvation and the sin debt was not paid for. When Jesus uttered, it is finished, then indeed he was saying the sin debt has been paid. But please listen to me. The Bible doesn't teach that the moment that we're saved, that the curse is taken from the earth. Yes, we are no longer under its power. We are no longer under its penalty. But until we get to heaven and we get glorified bodies, we will still be under the curse in our own bodies because we do not live forever. And this mortal flesh has to put on immortality. And so the work of redemption, as far as being complete, is not complete until we are at home with the Lord and we have glorified bodies. Has it been accomplished in the mind of God? Yes. So had everything before it was done, but yet it still had to be acted out and lived out. That's why the Lord Jesus had to come and die on the cross and was buried and rose again from the dead. And so please understand that the prophecies that Jesus quoted had to do with his first coming and many he talked about that had to do with his second coming that are yet to be fulfilled. So Deuteronomy and Isaiah are the first two sections of the Tanakh that uh, Jesus quoted from out of those sections. And then in the book of writings, he quoted from the Psalms. He quoted from the Psalms more than any other book during his earthly ministry. Why? Because it is a microcosm of the entire word of God. Every major doctrine is fleshed out, uh, not in its fullest, but it is fleshed out, not just in sapient forms, not in mysterious forms, but it is fleshed out in the book of Psalms. And it is also of his lineage, David, and he said he was the root and the offspring of David in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And so he quoted from David and from the Psalms more than any other book. And so you have the law, the prophets, and the writings. The Torah, which is not the word for law, and we've made it synonymous with law, but it's the word instruction because it has more than just what we are to do and not to do. It contains instruction about how we got here, who we are, who made us, how we fell from our original position. It talks about every doctrine that is developed in the Bible in its incipient form is in the book of Genesis. And so it is the book of beginnings, and we'll get more to that in just a moment. I'm just trying to not let us lose sight of what we're doing. The Tanakh, that's the T in Tanakh. That's T-N-K. The N is Nebiim. The K is Ketuvim. Instead of saying the law, the prophets, and the writings every time, the Jewish people then and now just talk about the Tanakh, and that is T-N-K. And the dominant vowel in that pronunciation is A, so it's Tanakh. And so you'll hear me reference that over and over again, the Tanakh. And that's what we call the Old Testament in referencing the Older Testament. And so I want us to not get caught up as we go through books and in the details yet, simply because God presents 
himself in great panoramic vistas. And the great doctrines of the Bible are in great panorama before they are into the details. And God starts that with the book of Genesis. If you'll notice in the book of Genesis, it seems as though there are two creation accounts. However, they are not. It is only one. Unlike the Wellhausen documentary hypothesis from Germany and higher criticism, there were not many authors that came together, a Yahwist who used the name of Yahweh or the personal name of God. We pronounce it that way. No one knows the exact pronunciation of it. And then there was the E document, the Elohim document that uses the name of God. This is called the Documentary Hypothesis, and it is a way to try to explain how we got the Pentateuch, the Torah. The Bible says that Moses wrote the Torah. That's all we need to know. And as you go through this, you will understand that what is important is that we understand God's method of communicating with us. And God always communicates from the general to the specific. Before he delineates and details anything, he gives us the great drama. He gives us a story. And so I want you to understand that. God begins where it all begins in Genesis chapter 1. And what you have in Genesis chapter 1 is the story of God creating everything out of nothing. That's what the word bara means. Breshit bara Elohim. That is God created out of nothing. Ex nihilo, the Latin would say. And out of nothingness, God created, spoke everything into being. And that is laid out in summary form in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 is a summary of the six days of creation and God's Shabbat Sabbath rest. And as you go through the book, you will see that actually it doesn't even end where our verse divisions and chapter divisions have it ending. It doesn't end, that is, this summary until what we call Genesis 2 and verse 3. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4 begins what would normally be the sectioning, because all you have is a great thesis statement of creation in what we call chapter one. And then beginning at chapter two, you have the sectioning of the book of Genesis in 10 sections, all centered around the Hebrew word toldoth. This is the generation of, these are the lines of, these are the tribes of, these are the beginnings of. All of the words go back to this idea of this is the generation. These are the origins. This is the beginnings of because it is the book of beginnings. And so you have a thesis statement about creation and how we all got here in Genesis chapter one. And then in Genesis chapter two, God begins to talk about the details of the creation. Now remember, the apex of God's creation of heaven and earth is man in chapter one. That happened on the sixth day. It's the very last thing that God did before he rested. He made man in his own image. He didn't make the animals in his image. He didn't make the earth in his image, but he made man in his image. He was clothed in righteousness. He had an intimacy with God that no other creature that he had made had. He was able to walk with God and talk with God and fellowship with God. 
But the Bible lays that out. So it ended, chapter one ended with the creation of man and the Shabbat rest. Now he's going to come back to the storyline that he began in chapter one and start telling you about the apex and the most important part about his creation. And that is the man that he made to love him and to serve him in particular. And so you have the story not a second story of creation, not a different story of creation, but a detailed story of creation as it relates to man. And as you'll see in Genesis chapter two, that he begins to talk about all of the animals and the creation that he had made, that everything had a part and a counterpart, a male and a female. Everything had in it the seed of its maker. And so that way God could allow procreation. Everything would continue on after its kind, after its species, after its origins. And this is why God created everything with the appearance of age. God didn't create cells and everything come from cells. God didn't create a big bang and everything come from a big bang. God didn't create seedlings or seeds for trees. God created the heaven and the earth with the appearance of age. This is why when things are dated, of course, it seems older than what it is, simply because God created everything with the appearance of age. And God did that with Adam. God didn't create an embryo. God did not create a cell and man and woman uh, come out of that. That's ludicrousness. That is idiocy, ignorance in every sense of the word. But God rather created man, Adam, with full capacity. He was as a grown man. A mature man, just like he'd created the trees, just like he'd created the animals. He created everything in its full maturity with the appearance of age so that it could procreate after its own kind. That's what the Bible teaches. So he gives us, pulls back the curtain, gives us revelation of how Eve got here, how God created everything, even man with a counterpart. But Adam was around before Eve. He was the uh, first of the two to be created. And God took from Adam one of his sides and created Eve. But Adam had to see that he had a need to not be alone. And so therefore God brought him the animals so that he could name them. And Adam saw that there was a counterpart for everyone except for him. And so God, after Adam realized that, God already knew that and already had a plan. So he took a side from Adam and created the woman because she came from man. I just want you to understand that God's going somewhere with this. And so what we have is the great storyline introduced in Genesis 1 and 2. And it's the story of God's creation, his relationship with his creation, and in particular, the creation of man that he made to know him, to love him, to serve him. And the book of Genesis describes in detail how he got here, 
how it was in the pristine beginning, and then how man chose to rebel against God after Eve being tempted and introducing that temptation and sin into the human race through Adam's choice to choose his beloved wife over the God and the creator that he was accountable to that made him. And all of this is recorded throughout the book of Genesis and then the great story that ensues after that. And that's what we're going to be breaking down, not in great detail, but just uh, to reiterate that God in the book of Genesis gives us the origins. That's what it means, beginnings, origins of everything that there is. It is there in the book of Genesis. It's not consummated until the book of Revelation, but it begins there. And so it is the story. I'm telling you the reason there is much, so much biblical illiteracy among the church in the West is because we have never learned, or if we have learned, we have forgotten how to tell the story of God and pass it down from one generation to another. No, we're more interested in application. We're more interested in how does this affect me right now, instead of looking long-term that God had a plan of how godliness was to be passed from one generation to the next through the father and the mother teaching the children. The whole design of children is to raise up a godly seed. So that's our number one responsibility, not to raise up a smart seed, not to raise up an educated seed, not to raise up a wealthy seed, but to raise up a godly seed. Now, those other things will come and go, but godliness remains forever. And no matter who we are, we need to understand that the purpose of Genesis is to begin the great story of the origins of the universe, the origins of the earth, the origins of man, the origins of God's great plan of salvation and redemption in the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.